We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. So today's webinar is Leverage Your MTSS to Keep Students on Track During School Transitions. So thank you again for joining us, and I'm really looking forward to this session. I want to quickly introduce myself. My name is Mary Adair McGrath. I'm a senior account director here at Panorama. I started my career as a middle school special educator um, and spent seven years in schools prior to joining Panorama about seven years ago. I've worked with districts of all sizes across the country, and I now focus my support on large districts in Texas, um, like Brianna's. I'm thrilled to be here today to moderate this discussion. At Panorama, our mission is to radically improve education for every student. And in that same vein, I want to share a note of gratitude for all of the educators in the audience. We so appreciate the work that you are doing to support every student, and we're so grateful you're taking the time to join us today. So let's start with a quick check-in question. How has your week been so far? I know it's only Tuesday, but you know, it feels like a week already. So there's a panda expression equivalent for you to choose from. Please type your answer in the chat um, and let us know how you're doing this week. Let me see. Number one, all day long. I love that. Some sixes, some fours, some sevens. Seven is a great one. A one, really excited. A four. I can kind of read the four as being like a little goofy, but also I was, I'm I'm going to Houston, really excited for some queso. So I'm also a four today. Wonderful. I could take a nap anytime. I love that eight. Yeah, eight is looking very relaxed. Same. <laughs> We've got testing going on. Absolutely. Number five. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's great to get a sense of who's in the room and how we're all feeling as we engage in this conversation today. And we get to see some cute pandas too. All right. So moving on, um, would like to invite our panelists to introduce themselves. Um, let's start with Brianna. And please don't forget to share how you were feeling, which panda you were, um, and why. Oh, man, I think I'm definitely a number three today after, you know, being an admin during testing this morning. I am just upside down, can't remember what day it is, all that good stuff. <laughs> so I am Brianna Piles. I am the coordinator of MTSS for my school district. For those of you who aren't super familiar with the term, that stands for Multi-Tiered Systems of Support. So I am responsible for the creation and maintenance of systems in our district for all students who um, need any kind of support in academics, behavior, or social-emotional wellness. So I work with our team of interventionists and other supports throughout the district to make sure all of our kiddos get all of the support that they need.
Awesome. Uh, and I'm uh, John Muldoon. I'm the assistant superintendent um, at Maple Run Unified School District in Vermont, um, the very northwest corner of Vermont. Um, I like to joke that sometimes my cell phone thinks I'm in Canada. I get those welcome to Canada text messages occasionally in my office. Um, and I am actually, uh, I'm not on site today. The reason I was number one was I've uh, been all day at a literacy and intervention conference with um, colleagues from my district and the energy in the room was super high uh, as people are getting really excited to um, plan some really positive changes for for next year and to boot it's a beautiful day up here in Vermont so I grabbed my laptop and came outside to dial into this um, today so I, I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders. <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, taking time out, out of this beautiful day to be joining us here in this conversation. So today, um, during our time together, we're going to learn from Brianna from Shirt Cibolo Universal City ISD and John from Maple Run Unified School District. And in our conversation, Brianna and John will be sharing the ways that they keep students on track through reviewing historical end-of-year data and setting clear plans for student transition, identifying what types of data are most important for predicting transition challenges, and identifying and executing targeted interventions that go beyond the transition program for all students. Then we'll absolutely save time for questions and wrap up with next steps. At Panorama, one of our fundamental tenets is that every student matters. That is in our DNA as a company. Our founders started this work as students themselves, picturing a world where school improvement would be driven by educators knowing every student's name, unique story, their strengths, and their needs. Today, Panorama has over 10 years of experience helping schools and districts engage in what we think of as student-first, data-driven decision-making. The Panorama platform is a connected suite of tools that help districts implement and embed systems of support to improve student outcomes across academics and well-being. Districts use our student, staff, and family surveys to improve school climate and SEL, and our student success platform to support MTSS practices, and our positive behavior solution for behavior logging and analytics. So today, the districts we're um, speaking to are highlighting the ways that they leverage our surveys and MTSS tool, student success. Let's just take a moment to ground ourselves in why this conversation is so important. As educators, you all know that transitions of all types can be difficult for students, and the research backs that up. In fact, a smooth transition to ninth grade contributes to student success in high school and beyond. While, on the other hand, more students fail ninth grade than any other grade. We're ending the school year and summer learning loss is on folks' minds. A study published in the American Educational Research Journal found that an average student lost between 17 and 34% of the prior year's learning gains during summer break. And at Panorama, we see that as students move from elementary to middle to high school, their positive views of school climate tend to decrease. 
All right. So I guess this is my cue. This is your cue. We're going to get to know um, some of the, distri- the, the districts that we're talking to today. And we'd love to start with you, Brianna. Can you please introduce us to Shirt Cibolo Universal City ISD and share a little bit about your district? Absolutely. So it's always funny when I hear Mary Adair talking about servicing large districts and then saying like SCUC, because I don't know about y'all, but some of the districts here in Texas are way, way bigger than we are. So we have um, about 15.5 thousand students uh, across 17 campuses. So we actually have more transitions than a lot of other districts in our area because we have our elementary, which is pre-K through fourth grade. Then we have intermediate, which is fifth and sixth grade, and then junior high for seventh and eighth and high school for ninth through 12th. So we've got 17 campuses covering those four um, major grade bands. We've got a little over 2,000 staff, over 30 languages spoken in our district. We've got a 36% at-risk population with 17% and more receiving special education services and over 30% military connected, which impacts our mobility rate quite a bit. And you are collecting feedback data from your students. Can you tell us about these touch points and how you leverage them in your transition planning? So one of the biggest things that we utilize for our transition planning is our social emotional survey that we utilize through Panorama. We look at several of the domains that um, are given as examples here in the next few slides. We also look at more cumulative data. So not just how the students are responding about themselves, but what their academics are indicating about them, what their behavior record is indicating about them. Because here in our district, we have found that academic failure is even more of an indicator of social, emotional, and behavioral problems the next school year, even more so than homelessness is in our community. So uh, we know that we really have to target that academic system, making sure those kiddos are ready to move into the next grade level, closing gaps, instilling in them that feeling of success so that they can transition smoothly to a new campus, which can be tough when we've got multiple transitions in our district. So we give that survey beginning of year, middle of year, end of year. And when we give the survey, we also go through all of those other data points. And then at the beginning of the year, we take a look at those students who have transitioned from another campus, utilizing those guiding questions that you see on your screen right now. And so using these guiding questions, we kind of determine if the students are high academic risk, if they're high social risk, if they're both. That way, the interventionists and the administrators on the receiving campus already kind of have a list of kids to keep an eye on and know what kind of supports they're going to need. That sounds so helpful. And I love a a good priority matrix there. Yeah. And how does the strategic plan support students in this transitional phase? So we transitioned to a new strategic plan in the last couple of years. And for those of you who are listening, um, the screen here shows our 
expected learner outcomes, and our learner profile. And so this strategic plan has really moved us away from focusing on that high percentage graduation rate, which of course is always important, but towards the acceptance of, we know that college isn't for all students. We know that students can be very successful taking other career paths outside of college, right? And so our new strategic plan has really allowed us to focus on individual student strengths and individual student interests to help them build their pathway as they move through these transitions so that they're not feeling stuck. They don't feel like if I fail a class, it's going to be the end of everything because I'm not going to get into the right college. We're helping them kind of find their passions and be able to work through those passions to support that transition to a new campus. Well, I love that um, sort of holistic view of all of the opportunities that kids have access to. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier the sense of belonging. Um, and data shows that members of the military who have school-aged children move between six to nine times before their kids finish high school. Um, I imagine that that statistic directly relates to why you focus on sense of belonging. So what role does this specifically play in your process? Sure. So, I mean, you can see the comparison of this data. For those of you listening, the bottom graph shows the sense of belonging rating from our K-5 students, and the upper graph shows the sense of belonging rated by our 6 through 12 students. Our K-5 students typically rate themselves much higher, right? You can see that we're sitting at around 64%, those students giving a very high sense of belonging rating. And then once we hit sixth grade and up, that drops to about 36%. And one of the big reasons that we found for this is that typically, uh, especially with military families, they stay in one spot while their kids are in elementary school. Typically, they don't move around as much when their students are very young. And so we see a lot more mobility and transitions for our kiddos who are in those older grade levels, um, which makes it a unique challenge making sure that all of those students coming into our campuses are getting that sense of belonging to our community right away. Yeah, that is so interesting. And it's, uh, I love this longitudinal data. Again, for the podcasters, you can sort of see trends over time where um, students are ticking up and ticking down. Um, interesting always to sort of see that data on top of some of the district-wide work um, and the interventions that your team has been providing. Um, so just curious, what, what outcomes have you been able to achieve through these data practices? And are there any success stories that come to mind? Absolutely. So you can see a couple of different viewpoints on your screen. Um, on the left-hand side, you can see the student reported ratings for the domains of teacher-student relationships, school safety, sense of belonging, right? This is from the fall of this school year, so fall 2022. And you can see that all of those scores are up multiple percentages over last school year because of the supports that we've implemented during these transitions. So even taking this survey in September, 
when they've just transitioned to a new campus, um, we're still seeing higher ratings in those areas because of the very intentional support and attention that we're paying to them. On the right-hand side, you can see a more individual look. So this is um, an individual student, and it's just an example of how Panorama allows us to track varying types of data for each individual student. So the plan on top is a behavior plan. You can see that the goal line is going downwards because we are trying to decrease the rate of an undesired behavior. And you can see from the student's trajectory line that he was not heading in the right direction, right? Um, he was green for a little while, but then started ticking back up again. And so what this allowed us to do is see that trend, stop the plan early, put a new plan in place, figure out what was working, make adjustments. And as you can see in the second plan underneath, he is much more on track towards the goal that we put in place for him. And so Panorama really allows an entire team to look at the same student so that we can say, this isn't working. What might we need to change? Are we focused on the wrong goal? Are we not pulling them and targeting it enough? Are they not getting enough time? What might be the situation and how can we adjust? This is so helpful. Thank you for sharing. I definitely think something that, you know, the platform is meant to do is sort of break down some of those silos, right? And enhance that collaboration. And hopefully to your point about that sense of belonging and relationships, if every um, staff member sort of on the same page of how they're supporting kids, a kid will feel, you know, that sort of team effort um, in their Absolutely. in school. Absolutely. And especially once you get to the junior high and high school levels where you have so many more students and so many more staff members at completely different ends of the building, right? Sometimes it's hard to get everybody together around a table for an actual conversation. And so Panorama really lets us make sure that everyone who has a stake in that student can view information and make notes to each other constantly, which has very much increased our ability to collaborate and really work as a support team for that student. You talked a little bit to us um, earlier about the handoff. Um, so this being a really critical component of transition planning. How does your team handle this uh, sort of handoff process? So I will say that this is probably like the number one reason that I recommend Panorama to people is because it has made campus to campus handoff so much easier. The kids information follows them from campus to campus, from grade to grade, um, whether they're a third grader who moves to a different elementary, which we have happen a lot in our school district, whether it's an intermediate kid moving to junior high, we know that those teachers at the next campus are gonna have immediate access to everything we have put in Panorama for that student. So if they had intervention plans, they can go back and see all of their progress notes in those interventions. If they had support documents, if they had a behavior contract or visuals that they needed to use, um, those are all dropped in the document section for the students. So the new campus doesn't have to make their own. They can just download and print the blank template. Um, it allows us to flag students, right? So that when the next teacher gets them, they already kind of have a priority list. And so then really all we have to do is at the beginning of the year, I provide um, a couple hours of time for the folks 
on each campus to just touch base with each other if there were any kids that red flags came up, right? So if there's a student that, you know, I know you see all of this in Panorama, but there's more going on at home or whatever, they can touch base about those things. Um, but it really, with all of our campuses, it doesn't take more than maybe two hours at the beginning of the school year to do that because everything else is already available. This also helps ensure that we're not waiting until after beginning of the year testing to start providing interventions and supports. Because you know that transitioning into the new school year and then getting into the various different types of assessments, it could be the end of September sometimes before that BOY, the whole mess is done. And we can't wait till the end of September to start providing support for these kiddos who need support. I love that, that sort of like hit the ground running mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, you know, I know that there are red flags for multiple different reasons, but we're also able to see, you know, what's working for kids and what's not. Um, mm -hmm. So being able to say, you know, this kind of um, check-in with this student really makes them feel good or really benefits um, them throughout the day. Um, so mm -hmm. it's the the strengths and the needs um, that we're able to flag. Absolutely. And that's why I love the document feature, because when we find things that work, it's so easy for them to just drop it in there and then it's readily available. And also there's a function now where you can link things directly in the intervention plans and the notes themselves for others to access, which has just been amazing. Teachers love not having to recreate the wheel when they mm -hmm. get new kids. There's enough on their plate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Can you also tell us um, how the community in Shirt Ciblo is connected to this work and their role in the transition process? Absolutely. So we talked a little bit already about kind of the shift in our strategic plan from, you know, 100% college bound to life prepared, right? We just want our kids to leave us prepared for whatever passion or interest or career they want to pursue. And so our community has really been a big part, not only in implementing that part of the plan, but also in providing students those opportunities and supports as they move up. So, for example, we know that a lot of the you know, lower SEL scores in our freshmen and a lot of the struggle through talking to students and teachers tend to come from, you know, they get into high school and they don't know what to do, right? They don't know what path they want to take. They don't know what endorsements they should get. They feel like if they, you know, they have to take certain classes that they don't really want to take and that aren't going to benefit them in the long run. And so our community has helped us provide these opportunities to them much younger so that hopefully by the time they get to high school, they know what their passion is, right? And we've facilitated some of that development to equip them to know what they'd like to do. And so an example, some examples of that are just, you know, our community had volunteers come in um, and our students and community members built bunk beds for some of our needy families who didn't have the furniture that they needed to support the size of their family, right? Uh, tons of community members came in to guide the students and help them work through it. We also have a social worker and district military connected student 
um, consultants who work in our district to make sure that they're tracking and touching base with those students. Um, and our Parks and Recreation Department here in the City of Shirts does a lot of programs that are open to the kids for them to come do. And so really just having those things available and community members supporting that helps the students feel like more part of the community in addition to just part of the school, right? Mm -hmm. They feel like they're supported from all sides. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those strategies. And we have a couple questions that have come in, but we're going to hold those to the end, make sure that we can um, hear about Maple Run Unified from John. John, can you, um, we're going to move to a whole different part of the country. Can you please introduce us to your Vermont district? Yes, welcome everyone to the Maple Syrup capital of the United States. Um, so we are at Maple Run Unified School District in this northwest corner of the state. Um, and uh, it's funny to hear uh, my friend and colleague here talk about 15,000 not being considered a big school district because for the state of Vermont at almost 3,000 school students, uh, we're actually the fourth largest school district in the state and my colleagues can't fathom uh, from other school districts can't fathom how it is we run such a large uh, set of schools, um, which is, uh, it's funny, right? Context is, is everything. Um, so we, we do have five schools. We have three uh, pre-K to eight schools uh, that vary in size from 220 students to about 800 students. Um, and they serve, one of those each serves uh, one of our three communities. We uh, have a, a small rural farming community in Fairfield, Vermont, a uh, <laughs> high poverty, uh, I wouldn't call it an urban center, but densely populated city um, in St. Albans City. And then we have a, a more affluent suburb in St. Albans Town. So three very unique um, communities right next to each other. Um, the interesting thing about our district is that we are newly merged. So Vermont has a long history of small school districts and the state has been incentivizing them to merge into larger school districts. And so Maple Run is actually the relatively recent result um, of one of those mergers, which uh, started just before um, COVID. And so it's certainly been an interesting time as three previously independent school districts that had different um, systems and structures for everything, including MTSS and transition have come together. Um, we do have a technical high school as well as a comprehensive high school, both that are attached to each other in, in St. Albans City. Um, and so that's, uh, <clears throat> that's it for the, um, the community. Uh, well, actually, the one other important thing to know about our community is we serve all the rural communities that surround us as well. So many of our towns, once you get past the, uh, the three that are part of our school district don't have high schools at all actually and so they uh, they are sending schools for us they send their kids uh, sometimes up to 90 minutes um, drive each way to attend high school with us wow thank you for describing that i can imagine some of the challenges that you might face but can you describe uh for us what are some of the specific district challenges you see related to transitions certainly um it's similar, actually, to what we were just discussing, we have a large volume of student transfers and movements uh, that happen between our towns. Um, 
And actually, one of the, the cornerstones to the district's merging was creating a, a system that allowed uh, families to choose or to transfer schools and make choices about which schools they wanted their children to attend. Um, part of that is because each school has a very distinct culture and different things that they focus on. Um, one of the schools is very big in project-based learning, um, for example, or the Fairfield Center School is actually uh, has a whole thread that runs from pre-K through eight um, that has to do with uh, outdoor education um, and all of the classrooms participate in that. So we do want to allow for all of that movement between uh, between the schools. Uh, that does also come with challenges. Um, previously, actually, our, our biggest challenge was that um, every change was essentially a, a fresh start. Um, so pre, pre-panorama, kids would show up and there was hardly any data or documentation that met with them. So um, we weren't sure where they were academically, behaviorally, if they had support plans, um, other than students with IEPs, of course. Um, and so these kids would just uh, kind of show up with a as a fresh start mentality. And the biggest change that Panorama has done for us is to kind of turn on the tap so that that data flows with the kid from one building to the other. Um, and the, it, it's been really, really motivating and empowering for teachers because they can identify kids right away um, that might have a particular need or um, that might have a strategy that's already been identified that helps them to be um, really successful. And so that panorama, getting that information moving between schools has been uh, been really, really huge. Um, <clears throat> I would say we have uh, not had a great history of transition planning prior to panorama. Um, and it's, it's not that panorama you have to have panorama to have a, a good transition plan, uh, but it is the thing that has brought us all together and um, has made it easier um, and really gotten people uh, talking. Uh, I actually earlier today was talking to one of our um, high school counselors who said that uh, they used to ask the kids' parents to send in all of their report cards and information from eighth grade because they didn't get them from the actual uh, the actual sending schools, and so. Uh, he was marveling at the fact that he can log into Panorama and uh, have access to a whole wealth of um, information from uh, previous years. Yeah, um, helps a lot. Um, and and uh, just takes a lot off of people's plates. I remember um, driving around the city of Boston for about three weeks trying to collect um, IEP files from previous schools. So um, <laughs> yeah. just... <clears throat> making sure just being able to sit down and get started right away um, feels so important. Um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering what types of data as you're sort of looking at Panorama or having conversations with your um, colleagues, what types of data are most important for predicting any transition challenges? Sure. So uh, we actually utilize panorama almost like a universal screener in the transition process, right? So it, it, it's not a screener, but it takes all of the data that we have on students related to academics, attendance, behavior, and FEL, and it puts it in one place. Um, so we're not often doing any kind of uh, diagnostic work there or developing specific programming when we're looking at transitions. Um, but what we are doing is looking in each of those categories uh, and trying to identify students that are um, 
either uh, substantially or um, significantly behind uh, their peers or that they need um, a substantial level of support to be successful. And so we can see that sometimes in the academic data or the, the raw data, like percentage of students on track for um, attendance, and then drill down to those individual kids and see their, their needs, including support notes from um, staff members that have been working with them, um, individual trends, like look, just being able to look visually at a calendar and, and see that all of the students' absences are on Thursdays and Fridays is, is a telling thing. Um, but in these actual transition meetings, we, we're not developing the individual plans. We're kind of sorting the students into um, uh, categories for follow-up. Um, and so then that allows the, the individuals in these teams to go back to their school and engage the appropriate people in making plans. Um, I, I, even in a, a district as small as ours, it's not possible to get everybody in the same room at, at the same time. Um, and so we found it was really an effective use of our uh, time to look at all the data we have and just identify kids that um, definitely need that additional um, support in order to be successful. Um, I will agree with uh, uh, Brianna as well that um, attendance and the SEL data are um, good predictors um, for us in particular. And, we do see uh, wide swings, usually in positive direction with academic um, and behavior data, but the um, SEL and the attendance data some, seem to be, at least for us, more uh, difficult to nudge in the directions that we want. And we see um, those as being particularly useful when we're looking at, um, <clears throat> at those transition points. So uh, at the slide says, and I, I would just re-emphasize, this is not our data <laughs> that's on the screen here, um, <clears throat> but um, Panorama has really become that organizing point for these conversations. It makes it really easy uh, in a meeting to say, okay, let we have identified our cut points and our targets. And so who are all of the students for this individual target um, or for several targets? um that are uh, really at risk and then it allows us to look at them as a cohort um, i have one principle actually that has formed groups and this isn't necessarily a transition um, tool but uh, every week when she meets with her grade level leadership team she pulls up every student um, that is in this smart group that she has created and it is related to academics behavior and attendance um, and so really quickly it surfaces all of the kids that they need to talk the most about and they just walk right down, wait, right down that list. Mm -hmm. the, oh, that's our hope around efficiency for sure, uh, which is great. Um, I know that, um, you know, we've heard you talk about transitions and I think you have some really specific sort of grade level or time of year transitions. Could you share a little bit more about the transition points um, in your district and how they are addressed? We, we have lots of transitions and because of those unique structures in each of our buildings, the transitions are different in each building, which is a challenge in and of itself. Um, one of our uh, schools has three grade level communities. So you could be in the same community with the same staff members and have rallied together for up to three grade levels. And then when you transition to your next community uh, at the end of that three years, that that is just as big a transition for them as if 
um, they might be leaving to a different school or almost as big of a transition. Um, and then, uh, of course, we have transitions as students transfer between schools and then the big one into ninth grade, which is the one we've invested the, the most attendance around. Um, but with these elementary transitions, the key has been um, setting the data or making sure that teachers know the data is all in one place and then setting um, some common protocols that we utilize as we prepare to hand kids off from one um, learning community or one grade level to the other. Um, and so that ensures that there's a, a real focus on the kids and the data that is most important. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the goal, and this is whoever took notes in the meeting we had beforehand did a great job because this is something I say all the time. Uh, we really, we're focused on kids and improving their outcomes, improving student outcomes in this process, but also the teachers need tools to help manage these transitions. It is not fair to ask them to navigate as much as we ask them to uh, without providing level of support like this. And so um, this has been super successful um, uh, for us. Um, we do have uh, other transitions as well, of course. And so we have students um, transitioning to a different model of education in, in middle school, uh, where we have a more uh, kind of junior high approach as students are um, on bigger teams with more students and um, have more transitions. <clears throat> and of course, uh, as anyone that knows middle school students, I started as a middle school teacher myself. Um, there is a, a lot of support around um, attendance uh, and uh, positive engagement or behavior for students as they navigate these transitions. Um, and so Panorama takes on a whole different role or a, a whole a whole new light for teachers as they document those support notes and track data here. Uh, it allows us to be very specific with identifying the concerns that we have for students and making sure that that, that data doesn't get lost. Um, and then as students head to high school, it's really just a continuation of that practice. There is one thing here that really emerged for us when we were thinking about transitions uh, between grade levels <clears throat> and from one school to another. And that was that really that there was a huge missed opportunity we felt in summer. Um, we were actually seeing um, some concerning uh, data about learning loss between uh, between school years, um, even for students that we had uh, we felt done a really great job planning for the the transition for, um, and so uh, what we were able to do is uh, set some real networking uh, in the community and engage some people in and um, helping us support our families. And I'd say actually the biggest piece for that. First was uh, talking to our families and finding out what it was they felt they needed, and childcare actually came up as the number one uh, concern for families. So we we have uh, a tradition here of running, um, you know, short day, week long camps in our schools um, over the summer. And what we realized in talking with families is that completely missed the mark in terms of childcare, which was coming out as that number one concern. And in talking with those families and their kids, uh, the students, the concern was that, you know, their kids are really home all day uh, in the summer, unsupervised or with minimal supervision. So we've partnered with the recreation department and some community organizations around um, summer programming that engage kids for a full day, actually even a longer time than they would if they were in school. 
Um, and we have uh, mobilized resources in the school to push in and, and provide some summer appropriate, so not intensive, but um, some academic engagement for students around literacy and math um, in particular. Uh, we're also having some fun. We uh, have taken the opportunity to rally the community around reading in particular. Um, and so uh, we have a partnership with um, the Franklin County Bookmobile um, up here, which is, is really great. And they've, they've even let me drive it a few times, which is super fun. Um, and so they're, they, they actually, they'll go to individual houses if we sign kids up and, over the summer and check on them and let them uh, check out books and give away books and engage them in um, some uh, learning activities. They go to all the daycares around. They go to the rec camp. Uh, we'll be at the farmer's markets this summer doing literacy games and giving away books. And so that's super fun. Um, we're also working with local pediatricians to sign um, every uh, school-aged child up for um, a monthly uh, free book program where they get uh, books delivered in the mail um, every month. And this program has been around for a while, but people weren't signing up for it. And so we just give them the form, tell them it's important have them fill it out in front of you and then take the form back and we'll stop by once a month and pick them up and put them in the mail so that nothing, um, nothing could go wrong. And so all of this is free and really just funded with either grants or out of the goodness of people's hearts and, and our wonderful community. That's amazing. Um, I love all of these examples and just really great to hear about both of your communities really kind of stepping up and being part of supporting the whole student. Um, and during during all of these transitions. Um, curious to hear from you, John, um, what are you most looking forward to in this work? What do you anticipate to be some of the key outcomes? Yeah, so uh, I would say if you can see, if you're uh, attending and, and watching the video versus listening on the podcast, you'll see that uh, I have something that might not connect at first um, up here, which is really about our budget and town meeting process. Um, so for those of you that don't know Vermont, uh, we have a very strong tradition of local town meetings. And um, one of the outcomes is that um, in many communities, such as ours, uh, Budgets uh, are very fiscally conservative. There's a lot of concern about um, how much money we spend um, here in, in our communities that don't honestly have that many financial resources. Um, and since we started this work, I will give Panorama credit um, for a lot of this. Uh, so many of the community issues that have come up have really prompted a question about what data do we have related to that? Right. So there, there's a news headline, right? NAEP scores are out. And, you know, kids reading is at the lowest level since the 1990s. And those are all opportunities for me to say, what data, data do we have about that, about our individual kids here? And how can I engage the community in talking about that and, um, and rallying around our kids? And so these are other headlines that have really come out since we've started using uh, Panorama as a data warehouse and a data platform. Because no matter what the national news is or the local news is or what the people at our board meetings are interested in, um, I can pull up data that is real and relevant um, about our kids and what they're going through right now and engage the community in conversations about that. And I think that level of engagement and trust and accessibility to the data makes 
it very transparent for the community. They know what our issues are and they know how big those issues are. And so this year, uh, for the first time ever, we had uh, a huge margin in the way that our budget passed. And so that uh, $69.5 million budget might not seem like a big deal to other uh, school districts, but that that passed in its first try at town meeting with a two-to-one margin is really um, a huge vote of confidence in the school and our staff. And I really credit um, the accessibility of data and the ease of engaging the community in conversations around it what our kids are going through and what they're saying is, is being key to that. That's such an interesting perspective to use data to really craft a compelling narrative, right? About what what's actually happening for kids. Because, you know, especially with SEL and well-being data or just before we were able to collect this data, it's like, it's just a gut feeling, you know? It's just these conversations yeah. we're having with kids. And those are sometimes hard to share more broadly out with the community, but, you know, being able to pull some numbers and anecdotes um, at the same time can, um, sounds like you're really sort of rallying the community around your students. Well, actually, you just said something that took me a full year to learn. And so I'll, I'll just share that with the community. Uh, the data alone is actually not enough. Um, and so I got uh, I got a lot of uh, positive feedback about the sharing of the data, but for most people who aren't professional educators or not working in schools all the time, the data doesn't always connect, right? Like when we talk about the percentage of kids on grade level, that does not, you know, with literacy, for example, that does not mean all that much to uh, your average Joe out there. Um, but when you talk about what that means for kids and what the impact on their life could be if your child is in that percentage of students who are not on grade level, or if they're three grade levels behind, or, you know, insert whatever measurement here, when we couple that data with stories like that, people really are able to make those connections. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, folks. We've come to the end of the sort of um, prepared slides and we're excited to have about 10 minutes left for some questions. So um, this question I think came in, Brianna, when um, you were speaking, what specific indicators do you use to measure sense of belonging? So uh, we utilize specifically Panorama's SEL survey tool, which has questions built in um, that allow students to kind of respond and indicate their feelings around their school, their community, their school environment. Um, and so that is divided. Uh, Marietta, I don't know if you maybe want to go back to the slide that showed the SEL results. The sample data, but it breaks it down into categories. So some of the questions align with sense of belonging, things like, I feel like I am part of a community. I feel like um, I am important to my community, that I have a role to play, you know, whether they feel like they are, you know, needed and important and play a, a, a specific role. And then others fall into self-efficacy, growth mindset, self-management, social awareness, and all of those other pieces. So there are multiple questions that 
apply to each section of that SEL survey. Um, and we hone in on sense of belonging quite a bit, especially with our students who are receiving targeted interventions, because we know that receiving extra support, even if it's geared towards a positive outcome, can feel a little alienating for students at times. And so we want to make sure we're monitoring those students and making sure that they're still feeling good about their classroom, about their school environment, and about their belonging in the community. Thank you. John, I'm going to ask this question to you, and then Brianna would love any other additional questions you or context you have. Does confidentiality does confidentiality ever become an issue with transfers? This is often brought up when teachers ask for transition information. Yeah, uh, this is something that we pay close attention to just because of the number of transitions kids go through. Um, and when you start putting all of the student's data in one place, you want to be really careful that um, you're, uh, you're protecting that information and, and the student as a part of any process. Um, so before any transition meeting um, meetings take place, we look at um, what we know about students' plans. Um, and so thankfully, we have a really great, um, now that we're a unified district, we have a really great enrollment um, and transfer process that's spelled out very clearly. And so by the time we get to those transition points, um, we mostly know where all the students are going. And so uh, at that point, the meetings only include the people who uh, have a, a valid reason for being in the actual meeting and who are going to be working with that student uh, the following year. Uh, that's one piece. It does create a complication because we do end up with a small cohort of students that um, we don't know what their plan is for next year, or maybe the plan changes after they've told us. Um, and so then we we have to do a little bit of follow up um, planning for their for their transitions. But um, with a, li a little bit, and it doesn't take much um, of uh, planning, we feel like we're able to mitigate any of those serious concerns for kids and their confidentiality. I would add that I feel like Panorama helps us with this as well, um, because it's only teachers who have direct interaction with the student who have access to their profiles in Panorama. And so regardless of whether they're looking at previous year's information, if it's not a teacher who is going to be working directly with that student this year and have that legitimate educational interest, they're not going to be able to pull up any specifics regarding the student plan. Um, they'll only be able to see the student as part of a campus-wide generic percentage. And so that allows us to be a little bit more proactive and careful in who has access to which students, who has access to all students on a campus, and who has access to all students at the district level. Um, and just making sure that no confidentiality and no, um, you know, educational information is shared where it shouldn't be. All right, that's helpful. Thank you. Another question, this is from Jane. Who collects and interprets the data? Is it teachers or office support staff? Can you talk a little bit more about sort of this process? That's a question that I get a lot because we talk about all these data points and the teacher's first thing is, um, excuse me, who's going to be putting all of that together, right? Because we know that they have 50 million other things to do. The nice thing about Panorama is that it collects 
that data automatically, most of it, through things that we're already doing. So attendance, academic data, um, SEL data, um, behavior data, all of that is automatically collected through Panorama from the varying systems that we use to report those things. So teachers access their grade book and do attendance and grades and all of those pieces, and it automatically populates in Panorama. So we can see it when compared with everything and everybody else. So the only extra data that teachers really need to collect is if that student is receiving targeted interventions and they're the ones providing that intervention. So in our district, once a student has um, an intervention plan, they are assigned a champion in Panorama, which is whoever's going to be delivering that intervention. That person tracks their progress towards their intervention goal and plugs it into Panorama so that the student's classroom teachers can see how they're progressing and how they're doing with that. John, do you, thanks, Brianna. That's super helpful. And John, who are the folks who sort of collect or sit and then interpret this data and decide what they're going to do with it um, at, at your schools? Yeah, it's actually kind of funny to think about because I'll, I'll second what was just said. You know, Panorama is great at aggregating most of the data that we need automatically, and so it's super painless. Um, and we started in our implementation of Panorama to try and keep the load light on teachers to have administrators and the office staff really take on the load for everything else. But as teachers were finding out all the different things you could do in Panorama and how, how easy it was to do, they really actually started pushing back and saying, like, give, give us, give this to us so that we can make sure that everything gets in there and that, um, you know, we can interact with everything more directly. And so, it's been it's been a nice shift. Um, I will say uh, we have regular uh, meetings here, and so there are a few data points that we track that don't automatically come over um, into Panorama. And so we usually have someone like uh, instructional coach or literacy specialist or someone like that in each of the buildings, kind of coordinate getting that data onto a single spreadsheet and getting it uploaded. Um, so it shows up into Panorama correctly. Um, and then, of course, when it comes to like the reporting behavior or tracking interventions and support notes, that stuff is so easy to put in. Teachers appreciate the ease of it, and they do it themselves. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you both so much. Um, we have just a couple minutes left and um, want to make sure we save some time um, for folks to provide feedback and answer a poll. Um, great. We're going to share a poll. Okay. You should see it now. Um, if we didn't get to your question, um, I'm sorry. And uh, thank you for submitting it. And um, you can feel free to send it to info at panoramaed.com and we'll make sure um, that we respond to it. Thank you so much to John and Brianna for all of the wonderful work you are doing for students in your district and for taking time out of your day to share it with us here. Um, and then to help guide our next steps, you'll see this poll. Um, we appreciate you taking just a minute um, to answer this. What will happen is if you choose a personalized demonstration, someone from Panorama is going to reach out to you. If you choose more online learning, we're sharing a link to our webinars page in the chat. 
So you're able to see a lot more conversations just like this. And if you chose choose access to more resources, you can stay tuned for our follow-up email, which will contain several downloadable resources for you to further your MTSS learning recovery journey. Still seeing some folks participating. While they're participating, I just wanted to real quick, just real quick, I saw a couple of questions about addressing or identifying at risk. If your students don't have an intervention plan yet and you utilize the panorama survey and you see that that self-efficacy rating is really low, that's the one you want to pay attention to. I can go into more detail with it if anybody reaches out to me later. I know that my links and social media were all shared, but that self-efficacy, y'all, I'm telling you is going to be the biggest one when it comes to identifying kiddos who might struggle moving from school to school. Thank you, Brianna. And from Panorama's research, uh, self-efficacy is so closely tied to academic success. So it's a, it's the um, sort of the confidence in yourself, in your capabilities, and how that aligns to all other sort of traditional measures of success in school. Absolutely. If they don't feel like they can be successful, they're not going to be able to expect to be successful. And finally, thank you so much. And um, we, what Brianna just mentioned, this is where you can find her if you have any follow-up questions. Um, you can always reach out to anyone at Panorama. And again, just thank you so much. We're so grateful for all the work that you're doing. Thank you, Brianna and John, for sh sharing all of those wonderful tips um, and knowledge. And I hope everyone has a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.